You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really, really glad that you're here with us. So let me give you a little bit of background if I can. And that is, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I didn't become a Christian until I was 19. And my family wasn't Christian either. I mean, I, technically we were Catholic, but we were Catholic in the same way that Olive Garden's an Italian restaurant. Like, <laughs> yeah, but not really. And so uh, what happened was, is that my older brother, I have an older brother, he's five years older than me, and he had become a Christian selling cable TV subscriptions door to door in Boston. So this is quite some time ago. So he walks up to a door, knocks on the door. This guy whose name was Stephen answers. And my brother says, do you have Warner Cable? And he says, no, do you have Jesus? And uh, Stephen invites my brother in. And two hours later, my brother walked out of his apartment as a Christian. He had invited Jesus into his life and totally changed his life. Uh, two and a half years later, I'm visiting Boston with my girlfriend, now wife of 24 years, and thank you. In two weeks, I'll be able to say 25 years, so we're excited about that. So, uh, so we're, we're there, and I want my family to meet her, and so my brother, we're staying with my brother, and he shares the gospel with both of us, and uh, we make that same decision. We invite Jesus to come into our lives and we both start growing together. And then the moment happened, and this is really what I want to focus on, is that my brother gives me his Bible and he gave me, it wasn't just his Bible, but it was his King James Version with Hebrew and Greek notes Bible. Now, if you aren't aware of what the King James, the King James Version is the translation of the Bible from the 17th century that's written in Old English, thee and thou and all that, or as my son calls it, the pirate translation, uh, because he says everyone who reads it sounds like a pirate. And so uh, it's the translation that you give to people who come to Jesus that you don't like. So it's like, you came to Jesus? Yeah? Here, try reading that. Enjoy. So anyway, uh, but now to make it a little easier to understand, this translation had a dictionary in the back with all these thousands of, of Hebrew and Greek words. So if you didn't understand a word or you wanted a deeper meaning, it had all these little numbers, not just the chapter and verses, but it had these other numbers. And it, it would correlate between whether the word was in Hebrew or Greek. You would look that up. So I'm flying home from Boston back to Fort Lauderdale, and I'm reading the Gospel of Matthew. And as I'm reading it in the King James, there's these moments where Jesus says, verily, I say unto you. I don't, didn't know what verily meant, but I'm like, all right, I just kept reading. A few verses later, I read this other thing. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you. And I'm like, oh, snap, it's getting real now. What does verily mean? So I, the, thankfully, verily had a little number above it. So I go back to the Greek dictionary and then I find the number that corresponds to that and then it gives me the Greek word and the definition is verily. I don't know who wrote this dictionary, but I don't think they understand the rule of dictionary, which is you cannot define a word using the word that you're trying to define. And so, which apparently they didn't get that memo, but 
I don't know. Your story is probably a little bit different, but there's something very similar. And that is that there was a moment, if you're a Christian, that you became a Christian and then someone handed you a Bible or you bought a Bible and you started reading. And see, the thing is, is that reading the Bible is different than reading any other book. And the first reason is because the Bible isn't just one book. The Bible is 66 books written by 40 authors over a 1,500-year period. But the Bible is also different because it has an ability that no other book has. Um, it, can, it can change you because the author of the book is the same one who created you. And so lots of books, listen, can impact you, can motivate you, can entertain you, but no other book has the ability to transform you down to the DNA and change you from the ground up. Now, here's the thing you got to know about me is that I am a very avid reader. Now, since I became a Christian, I, I was a very avid reader, but until I became a Christian at age 19, I had never, well, I had only read one book in my life cover to cover. And it was a biography on the life of Madonna. And, and I know none of you pegged me as a material girl, and yet here we are. But I remember going into, I was in Coral Square Mall. This is in Coral Springs, right down the street from where I live. And I went into a Walden Books. Anybody remember Walden Books? Yeah, yeah, Walden, but pour one out for Walden Books. And uh, I think I'm the only pastor in America who says pour one out. And so anyway... But I go into Walden Books, and I was in there because they had a really good magazine section. There was two magazines that I read, uh, Guitar World and Guitar Player. And so I wanted to see if they had a new issue of both of those. And while I was walking to the magazine section, I saw this end cap, and it had all these paperback copies of this book uh, on the life of Madonna. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, I bet Madonna has had a very interesting life. And so I grab it. And I'm like, I'm going to, and I, now I understand this. I never really even understood the concept of bookstores. Like who would actually pay for a book? Because I was thinking like, dude, the library are giving these things away for free. So like, why are you buying them anyway? But I decided I'm going to buy the book. And um, it was $4.95, $5.25 with tax. And I thought this is a ripoff. And anyway, but I, it took me six months, but I read it. And now here's what I'm, here's what I'm, my point and what I want to talk about and really focus in on today. What the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about with his protege, Timothy, is about what the Bible can do when we read it and we submit ourselves to what it is that it's saying to us. Now, if you're not aware, we are in, if you can believe this, the 15th message in this series that we've been calling Old School, where we've been working our way through these two little letters in the New Testament, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Now, Paul is writing to, as I said, his protege in the faith, Timothy. Timothy is pastoring a church in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It's a huge metropolitan city. The, the only city that was bigger than that in the Roman Empire was the city of Rome. So 1 Timothy is written, and if you were with us for that, then you'll remember that it was written about how the church should operate in a culture that's gone crazy. 2 Timothy is much more personal. It's much more internally focused. Paul knows that he's at the end of his life and he's going to be executed for his faith in a short amount of time. And so, but there was so much confusion about what was right, what was true, what was good. And so Paul's words are so old school because they're just like latitude and longitude. You can chart the course of your life by them. And so as we get to now Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy, it's heavy. It's a heavy letter and it is not one word is wasted. 
And so what Paul does is we get close to the end. He wants to share with Timothy, if, we, if he wants to keep growing and he wants to keep changing and he wants the transformation that all of us seek, he wants to show us how the Bible can fundamentally alter our lives no matter our age, no matter our maturity level, and no matter where it is that we are in life because the Bible is an equal opportunity transformer if we allow it to do its work. So we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. Here's what we're going to read. It says this, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's a couple things that I want us to look at today. But the first thing that I want to talk about is this, if you're a note taker, is that the Bible can direct your steps. Now, this is important. And I, and I want you to do this, and I want you to note this every time you're talking to someone who you believe to be a mature Christian. And I want you to think through as they talk about, hey, how did you grow? You came to know Jesus. What happened? And, and as you started growing, what were the things that really ignited your faith? And listen, I'm yet to hear a person who's mature in the faith that doesn't talk about at some point where they started reading the Bible and on top of reading the Bible, they engage in practical Bible teaching that really transformed their faith and helped them start making godly and wise choices. And, and, and this is really important stuff. And once again, sometimes when we're teaching, we talk about background and all that stuff and history and the governmental structure of ancient Rome and all that. And, and the point is this, is that sometimes you got to know that background stuff so that we understand the context of what it is that's being taught. But practical Bible teaching has this ability to make the Bible come alive to us. And it comes in, and then we hear the teaching of God's word comes into our lives. And then biblical principles start intersecting with where we are at this very moment. And it's, and it's absolutely transformative. And that's why Paul describes what the Bible does. He says that uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or literally it's God breathed and it's profitable for doctrine. And that word uh, is a word that simply means teaching. It's teaching that informs us and it's teaching that transforms us. It informs us about who God is and what his plan is. And, and, and I want you to notice the order in which Paul gives what the Bible does. The first thing that he says is that it instructs us. The Bible gives us a picture, a picture of what our lives could look like if we followed God's design. And I am so grateful that the Bible isn't just talking about these kind of ethereal, spiritual things that don't impact daily life, but I'm always amazed by how wildly practical the Bible is in meeting us where it is that we are. Now, let me give you an example. When I was much younger, I had just become a Christian, and someone asked if I could co-sign for them to buy an apartment. And it was a horrible decision. But I had just become a Christian, and I didn't want to think them to think that I didn't care about them because, you know, I was following Jesus, and, you know, what would Jesus do? That's right, right, like when those bracelets were first coming out. And so I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, Jesus would, would help, right? So I signed on the dotted line uh, on their behalf, and they promised that they were going to pay on time no matter what, right? Do I even need to tell you the end of this story is really the question. 
No, because you know what happens is, you know why someone needs someone to sign for them this time? Is because they didn't pay on time last time. And so, and by the way, if not, then, uh, and, and, it, and it didn't, and it was, it was a disaster. And, and in the middle of all of that, I read this really simple passage from the book of Proverbs. Let me read it to you. It says, it's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for a friend. And, I rem- and I'm like, dude, where was that verse six months ago? And, uh, but you know what happened? Eventually that person sold that place and then they wanted to buy another place and they came back like, hey, remember the thing we did last time? Let's do it again. But now things are better and I'm definitely not gonna, gonna do what I did last time. I'm not gonna do it this time. And I'm like, no way, dude, we're not doing that. And they were like, what would Jesus do? And I would like, Jesus would obey that proverb is what he would do. And he would not do what I had done previously. And listen, and here's the thing that I just think is so powerful, is that that simple passage directed my steps and gave me a wisdom that I did not have at the age of 20 and that I never would have come up with on my own. But once again, it's what happened when this, the, the practicality of the Bible met me where I was. And what happens is, is that it, and the Bible will always do that. It'll always meet us where we are. But here's what happens and what transforms us is when we make decisions, if we decide to do what it says. Because the thing that I love is that following Jesus doesn't just make your life better. Following Jesus makes you better at life. And that begins with being open to receiving the instruction that the Bible is giving us. And that's why he says that, that all scripture is uh, given by inspiration of God, it's profitable for doctrine. And then he says this, it's also profitable for reproof and correction. Two things. Um, reproof literally means pointing out the error of our ways. And correction is a Greek word that means to straighten out what's crooked. And so the point is the Bible isn't giving just a bunch of rules just to make you feel bad. Instead, what God is sharing with us, his principles, so that we can be spared of the pain that making these poor decisions causes and so that we can maximize joy. Listen, God's laws are never about limiting your joy. It's always about maximizing joy by avoiding the things that are harmful to us. And when we sit under practical teaching, when we read the Bible, and most importantly, when we apply what it is that's taught, we learn the things that we've been doing backwards, the things that have been all messed up, and we learn how to remedy it. And listen, we've all experienced this. If you became a Christian at some point in time, then you realize like, man, I was doing relationships totally backwards. I, I, now, now I know why these relationships are imploding. I got to do this different. We start following Jesus and we had all these ideas about how money works. And then we started reading how practical the Bible is on the subject. Like, man, yeah, I got to fix that. That was all messed up. Some of us start following Jesus and we were putting our career before everything else, even before our family. We're like, man, no wonder there's so much pain in, in, in my relationships. We correct it. And you know what we find? We find joy. But here's what it takes. And this is the powerful thing. What it takes for these transformations to take place is a heart of humility that's willing to decide that what the Bible says is more reliable than how I feel. And then we've got to be courageous enough to do what it says. So let me ask, how many of you are parents? Can I ask you that? Oh yeah, these are my people right here. All right, so if you're a parent, more than likely you have taught your kids how to ride a bike. And it's a pretty, uh, it's, you've all had, it's, it's all like some similar process to this. You start out with training wheels, and then at some point, the way we did it at our house was you start out with training wheels and then I take one of the training wheels off. 
And then, so you've only got, you know, you're only going to, if you go in this direction, you're going to have some support. You go in this direction, well, welcome to the asphalt. And so we've, you know, so we do that. And then at some point we kind of pull the training wheels back. And now it's like, it takes a lot for there to be some kind of support. And then the other training wheel comes off completely. And then you're just helping the kids along and you're running alongside of them as you're, as you do it. Like, are you holding me? Yeah, I'm holding you. And then um, you're, you're running alongside the, your, your son or daughter. And they're like, are you holding me? And your hands are in your pockets. You're like, oh yeah, you're good, man. Don't worry about it. And, uh, and then once again, and then sometimes they fall because that's part of the process of learning how to ride a bike. But with all three of my kids, there came this point where they said, can I just do it my way? And I was like, of course, go for it. I'll, I'll go inside and get the bandages. And, um, and they wanted to do it their way. And of course it doesn't work out. And then they just get frustrated and mad and like, I'm going to do it. And then there's this moment where they say, okay, dad, how was I supposed to do this again? I said, all right, let's get back to work. And then, right, you go through the process. They start listening and applying the things that you're saying. And then something wonderful happens. Now, um, just if you're not aware of my kids, my daughter Mia is going to be 15 next week. Um, Xander is 12 and Livy is 10. And a few years ago, um, when I was teaching Livy to ride a bike, well, this is how it ended. Check this out. I seriously could watch that video a thousand times in a row. Just, this is what reproof and correction does. Reproof points out the error of our ways and correction straightens out the thing that's crooked so that life gets amazing. But it takes a level of humility to decide that you're not right about everything. And this is where it meets us because all of us have a past. There's all things we've picked up along the way. And then depending on what age you were when you came to know Jesus, we're all now trying to reconcile all of that. I, like I told you in the open, I, I came to know Jesus at 19 years old. And I'm so grateful that I was pretty young when I came to know Jesus because I hadn't settled on a lot of things yet. When I heard what the Bible taught on just about any topic, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go with that because I really wasn't set in my ways on a lot of things. And listen, if we want change to happen in our lives and for God to really transform us, we've got to come to Jesus and accept that what he is saying is the best possible way to live. And the more that I will go with that, the faster and the easier the transformation. And the more that I buck against that, no, I got my own ideas, I've got my own way that I want to do it, then the slower and the more difficult the transformation is going to be. But here comes, here's the challenge, is that once again, there is this moment where someone hands us a Bible and we say, okay, I'm going to read it, but man, and, and listen, I've been studying the Bible now for almost 30 years and I, and I can appreciate the fact that the Bible can be a bit overwhelming at times. And it's like, man, I, I'm not, where do I even, how do I, where do I begin? And there's so much stuff I don't understand. So let me share a few things that I think will help you as you start your lifelong journey of reading the Bible and walking with God and all that. Four facts. So here's, here's the first one that I think, and this is huge. The first one is ask God to open your eyes. Every time you're going to read the Bible, I'm just going to encourage you to pray. Every time I read the Bible, not just when I'm going to study for a message, but every morning when I read the Bible, I'm, I just 
close my eyes and I pray and I ask God. And even though I've read through the Bible dozens of times, I'm asking God, God, don't let me miss what you have for me today. Open my eyes to the thing that you have for me. That's why, and, and once again, that's this, this wonderful passage in the Psalms that says, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. And, there's, and then if there's something that you don't understand, here's what you do. What happens is a lot of times we read something, we don't understand it, we just close it. No, no, no. You got to read through the stuff that you don't understand. If you don't understand something, write it down. And, and you're going to watch how those questions get answered in, in a myriad of ways. When I was, uh, I'd been a Christian for about a year, I there was a guy who lived a couple doors down from me whose name was Bill. Now, Bill wasn't a pastor. Bill was, uh, uh, he worked in construction. And he was just a guy, a faithful guy, who just cared about me and took a liking to me and uh, saw me at church one night. And then he lived in the same townhouse development. And so he saw me in the parking lot. He's like, hey, don't you go to church? Yeah. And he's like, I saw you there. And then he just said, and, and he's like, you know, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian like eight, nine months. He's like, oh, okay. And he said, hey, if you ever have any questions about the Bible, just write them down and knock on my door. And so I did. And I just, I took him up on it. Every time I got a, a, a notepad, every time I filled up a, a sheet of paper on the notepad, I would just knock on his door. And I got to understand, I'm like 19, 20 years old. I don't understand like kids' schedules getting kids ready for bed. I don't understand any of that. I don't understand what time dinner is. And so I just knock on the door and almost every time that I knocked on his door and the door opened, it was like a madhouse. And it was um, him cleaning up after dinner, his wife chasing their two boys, trying to get them um, showered and ready for bed. And it was just mayhem. And never once did he say, hey dude, could you come back later? He would just say, Bob, it's so good to see you. Come on in. And, uh, and I, I would, I'd walk in, I'd have my notepad, I'd have my Bible, he'd grab his Bible, and we'd sit down, and we'd start working through the questions. And some of them had very simple answers that I didn't realize, and then every once in a while, I would share something, he's like, ooh, that's a good one, I don't know, let me talk to one of the pastors and get back to you, circle it, and uh, we'll, I'll make sure that we, that we talk about it. And listen, he was a mentor to me that I needed early in my walk with God. And once again, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a leader. He's just a regular guy that just loved Jesus and, and, and took a liking to me. And so probably about 10 years ago, um, I'm teaching at a church. And after the service, uh, there was a, a line of people that were waiting to talk to me and whatnot. And I get to the end and I see this guy and he's wearing like a construction worker type outfit. He's got these, you know, construction boots on. And he gets to the front and he says, hey, Bob, do you remember me? And dude, I started crying and I hugged him like, dude, not only do I remember you, I don't know where I'd be without you. Um, and, I, and I was able to, and once again, I had moved and gotten married and I'd kind of moved on with life. And, and it was my moment to thank him for investing uh, in my life. And, and, and my, my, my point is this, when you ask God to open your eyes as you read the scriptures. You know what's going to happen? God's going to show you amazing things. Sometimes you're going to write down those questions and you're just going to keep reading and the question is going to be answered. And other times you're going to see God bring people into your life that are going to answer the questions and help you take big steps of faith. That's one. Here's the second thing you need to know as you read the Bible. And that is that every verse of the Bible has a context. Every verse of the Bible has a context in which it was written because one of the most dangerous things you can do is just take one verse out of context and build an entire theology on it. Now, let me show you one verse that drives me particularly crazy. 
um, that people use, and this is a popular one. Here we go. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I see one more person post this about CrossFit, <laughs> weightlifting, or running a marathon, uh, I'm going to lose it. Uh, this is not about, like, I, can, I believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe that verse, and yet I still cannot dunk a basketball. And so, so I can do all things except dunk a basketball. And so, but now here's the problem. What people do with that verse is make it something that it's not saying. Why? Because they just plucked it right out of the context. So let me read it to you in the context, and it'll become very clear what the verse means. So check this out. In Philippians, Paul says this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the context? The context is I can do all things. I can be content with a little. I can be content with a lot because it's Christ who's strengthening me. Do you know it has nothing to do with lifting weights? It's amazing, right? It's like, I thought it was about bench pressing. And no, it's not. And this is important, not just in this regard, but sometimes people will pull random verses out of the Bible and see, see, the Bible's repressive and the Bible's sexist and backwards. No, no, no. The Bible has a context in which it was written in. The other thing you have to know is that, uh, and this is what goes to number three, the Bible contains various styles of writing. The Bible was written, as I mentioned, over the course of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, and it includes different styles of writing that are important for us to understand. So let me give you um, four in particular. Number one, there's what's called narrative writing. This is what much of the Old Testament is written in. It gives you an account of what took place. And yet what happens is, is that people will read that David took several wives. Solomon took a whole bunch of wives, right? Um, Solomon could have had his own congressional district with the number of wives that he had. And so, and it's like, see, the Bible's promoting polygamy. No, the Bible is accurately telling you what happened. Because by the way, the dishonest thing would be to avoid that and not tell you what happened. But listen, maybe we could say it this way. Not everything described in the Bible is prescribed in the Bible. And that's really the key. Just because the Bible says something happened it's just being faithful to tell you what happened. It's not telling you that it's promoting the thing that took place. Number two, there is prophetic writing. Now, prophetic writing is not as clear as narrative writing, and it's not really meant to be. And you see this happen like in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah, the prophet, part of the, like chapters 1 through 39, there's some prophecy, but then there's some big sections that are narrative. And then chapters 40 through 66 are all prophetic, speaking of the future. And this is a huge factor in proving the authenticity of the Bible. Throughout the entire Bible, if you're not aware, there's about 1,800 prophecies that are given. All it takes is for one of them to be wrong to cause all kinds of problems theologically. But what's amazing is, is that as you study them, those that have already been fulfilled, it's amazing with the level of accuracy in which they were fulfilled. Josh McDowell, uh, who's a, an author and a uh, theologian, and in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and by the way, one of my meetings that I had with Bill at his house, he gave me his copy of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I still have it. I've read it more than once. It is, totally, it is literally being held together by a rubber band 
that uh, is, because anyway, um, but he wrote this, talking about prophecies concerning Jesus's life. He says this in evidence that demands a verdict. The chances of any man having fulfilled just eight prophecies in Jesus's life is one in 10 to the 17th power. That is one in 10 with uh, 17 zeros behind it. Um, it it's just, it, it, we can't even think in those kinds of terms. It's, it's so unlikely um, unless it were true. But predictive prophecy is one of the factors that separates the Bible from any other religious text because no other religious text has anywhere near the level of predictive prophecy that the Bible has. And they've certainly never seen any kind of fulfillment like the Bible has. The third is there's what's called poetic writing. Now, poetic writing is what we see in the Psalms. It's what we see in Proverbs. It's what we see in Ecclesiastes, the book of Lamentations. And this is more emotional writing, conveying to us the heart of the writer and, of course, conveying to us the heart of God for his people. And then lastly, there's what's called instructive writing. And this is what much of the New Testament is. Uh, the Gospels, the book of Acts are written in uh, narrative form, but much of the New Testament were letters that were written to churches. And so because they were letters that were written to churches, uh, they were read in the church and they were taught in the church just like we do every single week. And they were helpful and meant to teach us how to live as a follower of Jesus in this world. Now, where we get into problems is when we take a historic passage and try to make it prophetic. We take something poetic and try to make it instructive, and we have to be careful. And this takes time and it takes maturity. It takes time reading the Bible, and it takes time listening to solid Bible teaching that instructs us each week as we go through books of the Bible. And then number four, and that is, and this is the most important thing, and that is you've got to apply what you read. You've got to apply what you read. Now, I'm going to read you a passage that if you've been here at Calvary, I've probably read this a million times, and the reason why I talk about this so much is that it is the, the it's the exclamation point to Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And then he gets to the end after Jesus has spoken about so much and he gives the people a choice as to what they're going to do. Here's what he says. He says, whoever hears these words, these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I want you to understand something. So context, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, and he begins to talk about storms and floods. And if you're, a Jew, you're in the Jewish audience and you hear about storms and floods, there's only one event and one person you think of, and that is the flood of Noah. He's illustrating that the storms come in life, but not everyone who hears the words that are spoken are going to listen. Why? Because our behavior proves our beliefs. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing entirely to take what the Bible says and put it into practice. Now, I understand that not some people are like, oh, I thought the, that story of Noah was just, you know, a tale or whatever. No, um, it happened. And there's lots of evidence to prove that it happened, but Two evidences that I'll give you is, A, um, over 200 cultures record this event. And cultures that had no connection to each other, they, they, re they record this event. Now, Babylonian, Egyptian, Mesopotamian, um, all record this. The second is, Jesus believed that it happened. And I don't know about you, but you rise from the dead, I'm going with whatever you say. So, 
That's my thing. But God is going to destroy the world, commands Noah to build a boat. The problem is it's never rained. They don't even, have a, they, they don't even understand the term. And no one sees the storm coming. And so the question is, do you obey even when you don't see the storm coming? Well, once again, your beliefs are revealed by your behavior. Because studying the Bible is great, but putting the Bible into practice by doing what it says is another thing entirely. And it reveals what it is that we're building our lives on. And so, because once again, Noah's out there, he's preaching, he's saying what's going to happen. And we've got to decide whether we believe it or not, and put it into practice. And if we're due, we're building our house on a rock that no matter what storm comes, we're going to survive it. And if we don't, we're building our house on sand, and it's, it's like trying to live in a sandcastle. It's just not going to work. But what I love is that when you put these things into practice, not only will it transform you, it'll influence the people around you, but it doesn't change you until you decide to do it. Now, a couple of years ago, my dad bought my son a skateboard for his birthday, much to my son's enjoyment and to my wife's chagrin. And uh, because my wife knew what was going to happen, my son started skateboarding in the house and started destroying the walls in the house because, you know, he's learning to skateboard. And um, so then my wife took the skateboard and hid it in the garage. And uh, one day I was out in the garage and my son comes out and he's like, dude, there's my skateboard. I've been looking at this thing forever. So anyway, he starts skateboarding and he, at the time he was not very good. And I, and I said to him in, in the way that I encourage people, and I'm like, dude, I gave you my name. So you need to step up your skateboarding. And he's like, dad, you don't know anything about skateboarding. And I'm like, is that right? So we go inside the house. We're in the kitchen. And I said, give me the skateboard. So I take the skateboard. Now, this is a 40, at the time, 45-year-old man showing his son what's up. I step on the skateboard. I push off. And I am like Marty McFly uh, on this, all right? And I, and I kind of, I do this. I make the turn. I just kind of go like that. Oh, I'm making the turn. And then I'm going into the living room, and I do this little bend back, and then the thing curves back, and I'm blowing my son's mind. Then I, I'm getting close because I'm making the turn to my bedroom. So I'm going, big turn, big turn. And then I make the turn, and then I get into, I kind of do this little sweep into the bedroom. I kick it up and hand it back to him. And it, this was one of the 10 best moments of my life. And, uh, and he, it, he's like, he starts going crazy. My daughter, Livy, comes over, and he's like, Dad, is he so skateboarding? It was amazing. And she's like, no, nah, that's not true. And so, and, and he's like, Dad, do it again. And I'm like, all right. So I grab the skateboard, start from the bedroom. I grab it, do the big bend, come over. Then I come out. Then I'm going to do this other bend around the living room. Then I come down the hallway. Then I make this other turn. I get to the kitchen. I kick up the skateboard and hand it to them. She starts screaming. She's like, hold on. I'm going to get mom. She gets, she gets my wife, Carrie, to come over. Now, here's the thing you have to understand about me is that I will do anything to impress my wife. Anything to impress her. She is not easy to impress. And so if I think that I can get a like, huh, wow, that's impressive. Even just some kind of like half-hearted, yeah, that's all right. And uh, I, will, I will literally set myself on fire um, to get her to say something that, you know, she finds me mildly impressive. And so anyway, so I, I'm like, all right, you want to do that? Dad is so good at skateboard. I'm like, all right. So I get on the skateboard and I go, I, I'm, and I'm going down there and I don't know what happened. <laughs> and the, the third time was not the charm because I go to make the first, like I go to bend back to make the first turn and something happened 
and the skateboard came out from under me. And it came out from under me, smashed into the front door, and more importantly, I landed flat on my back. And I was like, you know, and I just, I, 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 it knocked the wind out of me. And then um, I, I, apparently I, I screamed or something, which my son and youngest daughter said was kind of girly. And, uh, and my wife was like, okay. And just kind of was like, I was really good. I was really good before. And so, and listen, the point is, you can watch somebody else skate all you want, and you can watch, but at some point, you got to get on there. If you want this thing to impact you, you've got to get on there and start going. And if you want the Bible to impact and transform your life, you got to read it, and most importantly, you've got to do it. And listen, sometimes it's quick, and sometimes it takes longer, but you see God begin to transform areas of your life, and it is so powerful. And that's what leads to the last thing I want to say, and that is um, that the Bible can prepare me for the future. In verse 17, he says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a wonderful promise that we have to everyone who opens the Bible and opens themselves up to the Bible, that they'll be equipped for every good work. This means that the person who commits themselves to studying the Bible and doing what it says will have the tools necessary to take on whatever the world throws at them. It's a wonderful promise. And a lot of times we look at the future, man, how am I going to deal with that when, when life throws this at me? And what God is telling us is that if we will walk with him, he will equip us. But once again, it takes humility. It takes acknowledging that we don't know everything and that we need God's wisdom more than anything else. Uh, when I asked my wife to marry me, it was right before Christmas of 1995, and uh, after a very long pause, and she said yes, and I, I promise I'll tell you that story some other time. But um, that Sunday, I went to church, and at the time, now this is in the mid-90s, our church had what was called a tape ministry. Now what that means is, um, it was a ministry that all they did was make cassette duplications of all the sermons. And so you go in there and just, you know, pay a couple of bucks or whatever and, and buy cassettes of, now I know I'm dating myself, and if you don't know what a cassette is, then you and I cannot be friends, okay? So just an FYI. But I remember um, going in there that Sunday and saying, I need you to um, make me a copy. I want every sermon that's ever been preached in this church on the subject of marriage. And I don't care what the con who, if it was a sermon, a class, whether it was uh, the pastor, a guest speaker, I, I need everything. And I used to have in my, in my car, I used to have this little storage bin Tupperware type thing. And I would, um, I had, it was stuffed with cassettes. And when I asked my wife to marry me, I, I must have bought like 50 cassettes of just sermons on marriage. And here's the reason why. is because both of my parents were divorced. Not just both of my parents got divorced from each other, but both of my parents have been divorced a whole bunch of times. And so, and every aunt, every uncle, both of my grandparents were all divorced. Everyone I knew was divorced multiple times over. So I decided at 22 years old, and I was barely shaving regularly, that I had to find out what the Bible had to say about marriage because I could not mess this up. And by the way, my wife's story as well. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, even pets were divorced. And uh, 
And so, and, and, and listen, in a couple of weeks, we'll be married for 25 years. And thank you. Thank you. And here's what I find so amazing is that if on paper, on paper, when we, I think between us, there was like, I don't know, 30 or 40 divorces in our, in our, in our immediate family. We, we were not the poster children for like, hey, this, these guys are going to make it. Um, but instead, what happened was is that when, when we just said, we are just want to hear what the Bible says and we're going to do it. It is, it is amazing that 25 years later, everybody wants to hear what my wife and I have to say about marriage. And uh, we, we were at a restaurant not that long ago. We sat down and then the, uh, the server sat down too. I don't know if you ever had that. The server sat down too. He's like, hey, uh, I heard you're a pastor. I need to talk about my marriage. And, and I'm thinking like, hey, I, I'd like to talk about my lunch. And, um, and now I didn't say that because I'm a Christian. I, I could only think that because I was very hungry. And so, but, but here's, but you know, the thing is this, right? Is that even people who are far from God, people who wouldn't call themselves Christians are fascinated when a marriage can last in a culture that relationships are disposable. And does that mean that we're brilliant? No, just the opposite. It means that we recognized that we didn't know anything. And we decided that we were going to take what the Bible had to say. We were going to listen to practical teaching and that God met us right where we were. And the more that we did the thing that God was telling us to do, the better things got. Because, and this is what I've been saying, that following Jesus doesn't just make your life better. Following Jesus makes you better at life. And that's why now for 21 plus years, my passion and heart has been to teach you the Bible in a way to give you the truth that you can apply to your life and that God can meet you here the same way God has met me over and over and over again in my life. So what do we do with all of this? If you're someone that wants to grow, then I want you to develop, listen, a heart of humility when you approach the Bible and the teaching of it. Sometimes we miss the wisdom that could transform us because we disagree with something that the Bible says, and I'm always amazed by that. I'm always amazed by people who are, say they're not Christians because there's something in the Bible that they disagree with, and I'm like, did you really think that you were going to agree with God every time? Like, if there is a God who is outside of time and space and has, um, is, is from eternity... You don't think he might have a different perspective than you in the three decades that you've been alive? Like, why? Because, you, listen, most of us don't even agree with ourselves 10 years ago, right? We, most of us, we look back and we're like, man, I was such an idiot 10 years ago. And you know what I always think about? And I think that too. You know what I, I think about is that 10 years from now, you're going to say, I was an idiot 10 years ago. So all of us, are sitting here as fools to our future selves. Now, don't think about that too much. That's going to get you bummed out. But it's just the reality is that 10 years from now, we're going to be like, man, I was so foolish back then. And, and listen, and the point is this, the, the way that we grow is to decide that we're not going to put our feelings above what Jesus taught for us and modeled for us. But if we will build our lives on the teachings of Jesus and the eyewitnesses' accounts of his resurrection, the growth is endless. And you will have a faith that can withstand any storm. And that's what happens when your faith intersects 
with God's faithfulness as you hear the scriptures and do the thing that it said. And as we move into a time of communion, this is our opportunity to solidify that commitment to trusting God over our own feelings. Because communion is our reminder that before we were trying to do the things that God wanted and please God and do God's will, even before that, in the moments that we didn't care, God was already at work in our lives. And this becomes our moment to say, Lord, I'm trusting you above everything else because I need you above everyone else. So I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward and they're gonna hand out the communion elements and I'm gonna invite you to hold on to them and we'll partake of communion together as Pastor George leads us. writes in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you for a grace that is so amazing, for a love that never fails, and for mercy that's new every morning. You want to do a great work in us and through us. And I pray, God, that not only would we open the Bible, that we would open ourselves to the Bible, to the work of your Holy Spirit, as you want to transform us. God, I pray for each and every one of us here that we would leave this place different than we came in. And we thank you for it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. 
If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.